Sounds good. Really good. Should we listen? Yep. There's still a third verse of those stops. No, stop before a verse. Anybody wonders where to stop is, watch me. I'll give you a cue. We're having fun. One, two, one, two, three. So I don't know about you, but to quote a lyric from Ghosts, one of the new songs featured on Bruce Springsteen's new album and documentary out today, Letter to You, for the first time in 2020, I'm alive and I feel the blood shiver in my bones. And like Bruce opens the documentary, I want to make this conversation we're having today essential, fun, and entertaining. And I could not be happier than to be speaking today for his second appearance on Financially Speaking, the two-time Emmy Award-winning documentary filmmaker. Wasn't able to say that last year, Tom Zimney. So welcome back, Tom. Thank you. Uh, It's great to be here, and it's great to see uh, another Springsteen fan and connect yeah. talk about the music so thank it, you for inviting me back and- my pleasure and 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 part of the actually part of the joy for me in doing the podcast and again i was in, in your studio last time and i prefer being in person but at least by doing these and doing these zooms on uh, it's nice to see other people you know other really good people because <laughs> yeah. it's just so thank so you. crazy and again first thing i want to do because we start out every episode this way anyway this year is just checking in how you and the family are doing i mean this has been a really crazy year for for everybody but everybody's well and healthy yeah, and, no, and thank you for asking and, and my immediate family and and friends are all well and i'm grateful for that and uh you know just in a space of like everyone else just taking it day by day and and um you know just reflecting on on a lot of the things that matter. And I'm just, I'm just grateful that, uh, you know, I have had this experience with, with this project, but also I've had family and friends around and everyone is doing okay and, and, and taking it day by day. Great. Great. Well, I'm glad to hear that you're doing okay. And like I said, it's barely a year since we sat down in Brooklyn and talked about the gift and Western stars but it really kind of feels like a lifetime at this point. But every, you know, I, I don't, I still feel like, I still feel like it's March. I mean, it's like, did, did we have a summer? I, I, it just, none of this, it's just, it's just so bizarre. But let me say up front, folks, that I'm going to be linking our first conversation that Tom and I had when I post this episode, where you really can learn more about Tom's background, influences, as well as three really important films that he directed 2019, The Gift About Johnny Cash, which is just incredible, Western Stars, which is this magnificent Springsteen album performed in a beautiful barn, laced with this really beautiful imagery of the Great West. And of course, where Tom picked up his Emmy hardware, the sensational Springsteen on Broadway film that he made for Netflix, which I am certain everyone listening to has watched. So check out that show and you will really get an insight into those productions and so much more. But today, as we uh, embark on, I think, one of the happiest days of this year, at least for me, is Bruce Springsteen and the legendary E Street Band released their newest album, Letter to You, which I have to say, having now heard all the tracks, not only deserves a Grammy for album of the year, but maybe as the band celebrates 45 years together, some of their best work and truly a powerful album from start to finish. 
And to quote Bruce, as he shares his love for his friends and his fans, beyond words. I mean, just beyond words. Now, fans of this podcast know that I guess I may be a little bit biased. And, and I, you know, if you look around me, you, you probably see Bruce usually no matter where I'm at. But I am confident that when everyone listening to the show gets to hear this record, there won't be any arguments. In fact, if anyone buys the album and doesn't like this, I'm giving you a money back guarantee. <laughs> Just reach me, email me. You can find me everywhere as I cannot imagine. I'm sure there's going to be one person. God bless him. But really, <laughs> what a great record. So seriously, Tom, in a year when we need the arts more than ever, and, you know, we've had Broadway shut down, we've just, you know, the operas, the obviously the concerts that we cherish and films, you really delivered along with Bruce and, and a really talented production crew, a film that is so much more than the making of an album. I was trying to think of the right way to put it, but for me, it was kind of like a poetic symphony, but it was shown in black and white about decades-long friendships, love, the passage of time, yes, loss and death, and what it's like to be the last man standing, one of the names of the songs, but in the end really shows when it comes to life on East Street, and I felt this way, and I think all fans know that, is that there clearly has never been an I in team. And the ghosts of those not around anymore play as important a role in this film as they did in life. And for the record, ghosts should win record of the year because, yeah, it is that good. So Letters to You has Bruce punctuating the story behind snowy Jersey landscapes captured so elegantly by Tom and the cinematographers. But the film at the end of the day shows this true band of brothers and sisters learning, arranging, and recording the beautiful songs on this album. So I guess take us back to the fall of 2019. So when, when, when I was sitting down with you and we were talking about The Gift, was this something already in the works? I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. I think, it, I think we little... sat down around October. That's why. October. Okay. The reason I don't know is that because these things get to be a little bit of a blur. They're chapters. They're really intense and time kind of blends together. But I do remember I got a call from Bruce and he had invited me to the house on a Sunday and we sat and we talked and Western Stars was done and, and we sat around a fire and it was an outdoor thing and there was a light snowfall and he brought up the idea that the guys are going to be coming by in the studio He's got some new music. He'd love for me to, to be there and, and film it. And that was the beginning of a lot of, and, and he referenced um, one song, which was Last Man Standing. And for me, that was the beginning of grasping the tone of the movie that I was starting to feel and make right there, which is a, a, a film that's very different than Western stars or Broadway where the palette was black and white because it just completely fit the description of that day, actually, in that conversation. It, mm -hmm. it, was a, it was a snowy, jersey, gray sky. It was the kind of thing where he was, for me as a filmmaker, giving me this opportunity to check into new work. And at the same time, the work was looking back a little bit and reflecting, but it was very much Bruce in the moment creating. So my goal was to get to the studio and really try to be as invisible as possible. And the way I did that was I had only three cameras 
I had three trusted cinematographers. Uh, Joe Salvo is my main cinematographer. And with the three cameras, had them going at all times to capture that sort of thing that I think as a teenager, I would stare at the River album and look at those stills of the guys in the studio and, and wonder how did they make this record or how do you make records? And there was a part of me as a filmmaker that brought along that 16 year old kid staring at the record cover because these guys were in front of me sharing tiny moments of magic where the collaboration of E Street is seen in small gestures. It was an amazing opportunity because it's a dream come true to sort of sit there and watch Bruce open up the notebook, the guys not know the music and this amazing transformation happens in the room. Mm. So you really, you know, I guess you, at this point, you kind of knew you're going to be filming these sessions, but it wasn't just for historical purpose. At that point, you obviously in your mind, you're going to be working on a film. I mean, at this point, yeah, um, I never, I never, well, you know, I think when, when I go onto a project with Bruce, I dream big, but I never know where it's going to land. Um, this is something that could have been archived, which hmm. means that it could have easily sat just on the shelf, all five right. days. That's true. So I'm looking at it from the point of view that I want to capture the material in a way that can tell a story and I'll get the details of the story. But I never approach it that it's a given that it would become a film or a final film. I hope. And I'm leaning into it as a movie. I'm shooting it and, and editing it that way. But it's a great way to look at it, though. I think, I think you know, for you. I mean, I think that's, you know. Yeah, I, I look at the 20 years. Because, yeah. yeah. You, don't, you don't lean on. I, I look at the 20 years and, and I rely on gratitude enormously. Gratitude in the sense of. I'm really grateful to be there. This is a great opportunity. It's not something that I'm expecting or that I feel like I deserve, or it's, it's sort of a chance again to create. Right. And that chance is a great thing to hold on to that energy because then you start to push yourself in directions of trying new things. And one of the things this time was expanding the language of the film western stars was a concert film and then those poetic vignettes with bruce and right but with with this film there was something else that was i was able to get which is the magic of documentary verite footage unfolding well that's what i was going to ask you because you know like with letters to you and western stars you know these are films of original material and obviously having the band learn the songs and, and everything that goes along with it. But, you know, having also worked on archival material on Wings for Wheels or The Promise, I, honestly, I don't think I've ever seen Bruce so totally at ease. And I think that obviously says a lot about the style that you were, that you were using. And there was this like the spirituality because, you know, I went back and I, I watched this weekend after watching the film numerous times. I watched the Promise documentary and I noticed how it showed almost like the anguish of the band trying to record Darkness on the Edge of Town. And, and that existed also on other records. And that's, again, a very different time in, in Bruce World and, and, and E Street World. But when you watch Letters to You, we see a group of these seemingly, you know, these guys just breezing through recording an album in four days. It's almost like Letter to You is a companion or maybe the antidote 
to the promise in some way. Did, did you feel that well, way a little bit? I, I, I did. I did connect deeply to seeing. I've looked at all the Barry Rebo footage. I've made the film, The Promise, the dark, Darkness on the Edge of Town documentary, which really demonstrates, like you just said, a different side of the recording process. And I, I really, really enjoyed filming these masters at work. The beauty of Max sitting down at the kit and, and just playing these amazing moments of music. And, and Stephen, who I, I admire so greatly, and his work with Bruce in the studio and the language of it, of how they talk to you, like, you know, Gary and, and Roy and, 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 and Charlie being in that space, these guys are, are, are gesturing and talking and so incredibly filmic, but there, it's a small thing happening. It's happening. It's a brotherhood and a language that I saw in some of the Rebo footage when John and Bruce get behind the council and sit together. I, I saw that very setup in the Barry Rebo archival footage. Right. So I saw those guys in 1978 mimic moments in present day. Exactly. <laughs> and that what, what I'm talking about mimicking is that passion and a focus that is just so intense. And also right now, from my experience as a filmmaker, what I saw was a band that um, is able to use all these years and all this growth together to produce music in a way that's a lot more seamless than the darkness sessions appeared to me as a filmmaker. I wasn't sure. there for darkness, but right. there, there definitely was a, a less anguish in trying to find a sound. You have Ron and yellow and, 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 and Rob Labrette who are running the studio and, and, and they're amazing. And the respect that you could see the respect that every single person in that room, I mean, at least from watching the film, the respect that everyone had for each other when they, you know, when they had something they wanted to add, whether it was Stephen, who, as always, and I've been fortunate to, to be around him working and, and, and seen this in person. But, you know, I, I it just the respect that when, when Ron had comments that and, and, and what a difference that made. And, and Roy, who is just a maestro. I mean, there's, that's the reason he's the professor. I mean, he really, you know, as someone who plays the keyboards is just you know, he's Beethoven to me. I mean, he's, it's just, it's just nothing ever like this guy, but you know, they just were each in their own way being adding so much to it. So I guess that was probably a lot of the fun part for you was, was really just, you know, well, being, being that, I don't know if I can say the fly on the wall ever again after the debate last week, but the fly on the wall. Yeah. You know, to be there and hear this thing unfold in the room, which is it's starting out as a demo it's a song you've never heard. Bruce is singing from a notebook. And then the guys sit down and they play it the first time. And you have to remind yourself that they didn't play this a million times. Like they come with such power and force. You know, Stephen is just so amazing to watch that way where it seems like he's, he's been born into the song and, and Roy's parts are just flowing. And, and then there's this great moment of Bruce, the band leader, guiding this thing called E Street Band. And, and the, I think the documentary was also Bruce's voiceovers explore that relationship, what it means. But also there's a whole side of the record that was great to capture, which was the spiritual side of the, the writing. Um, oh, yeah, very much so. 
you know, I think it's always been there for me as a filmmaker and a fan since the early days of Born to Run was that sense of Bruce's spiritual connection in the lyric writing yeah. and the lyrics. So this album especially was, was, it was really powerful to watch him demo those songs and hear the details of the writing and the words. And, and allow and allowing it to be captured because, you know, as most fans know, Bruce and E Street Band for decades famously avoided being filmed early in their career. I mean, it happened. And thanks, thankfully, there are these amazing archives that exist and more and more just keep popping up. But, you know, Max Weinberg said, I think it was in the Rolling Stone article, that he had never seen as many cameras before in his life. But after five minutes of the band being together, he didn't even notice them again. But it's interesting because you're saying there were three. There's not 30. There's not 20. Yeah, I got the impression from what Max, Max's quote that there was, you know, 100, which I, which is not your style. So it's kind of surprised me. No, it's just very funny because. It's come back to me a bunch of times that there was 20 cameras, there was 30 cameras. <laughs> the reality of it is, is that Bruce's studio is not very big. Mm-hmm. And there was three cameras. That just, I love Max. And that just says to me, like, you know, he was not used to this idea of, of people being filmed, filming him in the beginning. And, but also, I think after a little bit of time, the very first date, people were used to my crew and, and me, and everyone, we just kept out of the way. We just kept invisible. And, and how you keep invisible in a space like that is, imagine there's only three cameras and, and literally I'm set up in a corner somewhere, not within view of anybody. So I was able to be isolated myself. So at the end of the day, there's only three cameras and these guys are just working away. No one's stopping and performing for the cameras. I'm never interrupting the sessions. Not even if anything. Close, it's, yeah. it's just capturing this, this live, a band in a room playing live, which yeah. to me was amazing. There's, you know, a couple of minor overdubs done later, but the vocals and I had all the footage of them performing. That is the album. That is the mix that I hear. And yeah, and with the doc, I was able to sync it up and and really, oh. you know. Perfect. And, and it was it, it was great how Stephen mentioned, and I know what a Beatles fan he is and, 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 and you know, his, his historian, but talking about how the Beatles would, you know, put out a song every three days. And Bruce, you know, thought about that for a minute. And and that's that's, you know, that's because they just knew each other. They were just, you know, they were, they were just a bunch of lads that grew up together. And this is just, you know, this was second nature. Well, these guys may not be lads anymore. 45 years later, but they really are because they, they just know each other. So speaking of growing up and this, I think is worth getting back into a little bit. So people know, you know, Tom, Tom grew up a Jersey kid, loving Bruce, loving the whole Jersey bar scene. And I, I, in our first interview, you mentioned that you actually created one of your first films was like a born in the USA takeoff. Just t- tell us about that again. I, I think that, you know, because, you know, the, the fact that that happens and then all of a sudden, whatever it was, 15, 20 years later, you begin connecting with your childhood idol. I think for me as a filmmaker, it's been a great blessing to have this history growing up in Point Pleasant, seeing Bruce as the second concert of my life on the River Tour, connecting deeply to the music, but also my first sketches in film were like these homemade videos of like Born in the USA and Stolen Car and 
you know, I, I, I look at them now and, and laugh, but I also know that what was driving me was the, the narratives in these songs and the emotions that the songs gave me as a fan and as a viewer. And viewer in a sense of, I was starting to put together a language, a film, and the first thing I went to was Bruce because his music really made me dream and, and feel the presence of a, a cinematic presence before I understood what it was exactly going on. You know, the power of Clarence's sax or the power of the lyrics and the writing were really driving me to a place of wanting to explore storytelling with this music. You know, I think when I got onto Live in New York, it was my first chance to really work with the stuff. It was a powerful moment to finally connect properly with the material of the artist. But I, I've, I've always taken it very serious. And at, at the same time, I've always looked at my own life um, when I'm making these films, because I referenced earlier the kid looking at the river album. Well, you know, I remember for years staring at the back of the river cover and, and seeing like John Landau and Bruce or the inside sleeve, actually inside sleeve. I, yeah. It's there's just a happened to have that right here as I'm you know, yeah. not a surprise, but you know, when I look at, you know, look at, look at this and again, we're, where's an audio podcast, but you know, just finding the photo of, of, of Bruce and Landau together. And, and you're right. I mean, it's, it's, it's exactly what's exactly what you're held- describing it held a mystery of who are these guys and, and what happens in the studio. And, uh, and I really carried that because as a filmmaker, I wanted to remember that feeling of, of the magic of those photos. And also what I perceived as a relationship that John and Bruce had and, and, and the E street band had. And, And that's the beauty of, of working around them is that, it is something that really um, is amazing to watch those guys walk into a room. And the film gave me a chance to capture that. Bruce having shots with the band at the end of the night. Right. That stuff's not staged. That's the real thing, that you are in the studio. That's the beauty of 20 years is I'm kind of ignored in in a way of when I'm filming, it's just Tom in the corner. And in that, you can kind of capture something that the fan can really enjoy because the film letter to you was this moment that I got to revisit the 16 year old who wanted to know what happens in the studio with the E street band. So as that 16 year old is still up there, how hard is it for you? And again, this isn't your first dance, but to concentrate while you're surrounded, at least with this experience, you know, with the E Street Band, with honestly, their superpowers on display. I mean, you know, and again, I would say it about the Who and the Stones and plenty of other bands. It's not just Bruce, but, but you know, suddenly you're this, you know, you're this kid, this fan, and and you've had all of these experiences the last twenty years, but nothing like this before, where you are just, you're you're there for the creative process. I mean, you weren't there when Bruce was writing it down in his notebook. Nobody is, but now that it's out of his head and that he's there telling people that's just got to be well it's it's a beyond great, awesome. great experience it's yeah. my mind in the sense that but i take it in a place i take it to this place of of it's so serious to me that i can talk about the 16 year old to you now who says oh my god i was there in the studio with the e street band but when i'm there i really take it to the level of 
what's the job and how can I tell this story? So yes, in my hip pocket as a kid from New Jersey, you grew up in Point Pleasant. Every once in a while, he'll go, wow, look at Steven. That's so cool. Yeah. What he just did. Or right. is that an amazing Phil? I recognize, oh, that's Danny's Glock. You know, those yeah. kind of moments. I don't deny myself for that, but it's not what's leading me because I feel like what's leading me is this example of Bruce's focus and also the way he works with the band. That's a great inspiration. So I, I deal with the films the same way, which is, are we doing the best? Can we push it? Can we tell this story differently? How does this story need to be told? How in the edit can I convey the presence of that studio? What is different than Western stars in the visual language? With this film, it dealt with the past, but also he was very present. So there was this great balance going on. And I really wanted to work with light, light that poured into the studio because there's a spiritual presence in the music and the writing. Oh, very much so. And the studio itself gave me that as a language. And you know what's what's kind of eerie? And again, this is not a coincidence because the film was shot in late 2019. It would happen before the global pandemic and all of our worlds changed. Yet the black and white in many ways just sort of captures 2020 in a, in a whole other in a whole other format. I mean, we we talk a lot about resilience on my show. I had Guy Raz, who's just also one of the uh, one of my heroes, who has a terrific podcast where he interviews people that have built all kinds of companies, whether it's from Peloton to Uber to Instagram, and I mean, he's been doing these shows on resilience and how how these companies are surviving and what they're doing, and 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 I'm thinking, you know, you now having to do all this post-production, all this editing, all of the work done after the cameras stop rolling. Now that work's gonna have to get done anyway, but you were doing it under circumstances that were just so unexpected. Was this supposed to be out earlier? Was there a plan in place or was it just like not typical I, Bruce, see of. how it goes? And no, not that I know of. For me, it, it unfolded with the sessions being filmed a little bit of editing happening. And then I talked to Bruce and I just said, I'm shutting down the office and uh, I'm going to put the edit system uh, in my apartment. And um, I was just literally packing up everything and shutting down two offices and then proceeded to cut. And we talked every day. I talked every day with Bruce and he would send me voiceover and he would send me score. I made the film in, in, in the heart of of all this stuff happening. And, and wow. you know, the songs were recorded and filmed beforehand, but all that made a lot of sense in the moment. And it was a very sense in the, in the way of looking at life and, and, and just some of the themes for me as the filmmaker. And more importantly, it's just like the, I just enormous gratitude that I had something to work on during the time mm. it was, a great experience because it, I, find, I, found, I found the themes to contain these really a message of spirituality that I thought was really grounding. Right. And the narrative mm -hmm. that, that um, he was creating, we'll talk about that in a minute, but now that I'm thinking about it, if he was sending you these different narratives throughout the spring, let's say, or even maybe even into the summer, obviously he was experiencing what we were all experiencing in the world and not being so much 
trapped in his house, but, but, you know, kind of being, you know, a prisoner of, of just 2020. And that has to, that has to play with, play with your mind and really make you think about it. And, and what was, you know, such a juxtaposition is when the band was having all these fun conversations about touring, for example, and, you know, we're all waiting patiently, you know, for the coast to be clear and for that to happen. And, and, and I don't know, for me personally, the idea of those four nights in San Siro, Italy, as Stephen wished for, you know, it was just beautiful. And all I could say on that, and I'll, I'll toast as they did in the film. Well, here's to the road, as Bruce says, and let's hope that higher ground awaits because that's going to be one, one fantastic live experience. It was an interesting moment to look at that footage of everyone preparing to take this music out live. And, and um, I think a part of the approach to the music video Ghost was to honor that live experience. You know, I feel like the studio itself felt like a mini concert at times when these guys were recording this album. Out. It and, sounds like, listen, when you, when you listen to this, and again, I haven't heard the soundtrack you know, I don't have the record yet on vinyl and I cannot wait by the time this airs, I will and we'll be playing it over and over. But as I as I watch the film and listen to the songs over and over, it it had that river experience to me where I felt like they were just recording this live, which is kind of Stephen's way of doing things <laughs> for many, many years. And that was just so beautiful. And But then I'm remembering back into our conversation, and you talked about Scorsese and the effect that he had on you and film school and the magnificent films that he did, like like The Last Waltz, for, for example. And, you know, clearly, I, I would imagine that's in the back of your mind somewhere. But when I looked at a song that I had never seen him play live. I had seen Song for Orphan live at the final night in Trenton, I think, in 2005, which was a, which was a really fun show. But, you know, I was 12 years old. I wasn't listening to him play uh, if, I were, if I were the priest. But when I watched that, especially, all I could think about was the band, the Allman Brothers, the Dead, and I'm thinking that, you know, this must have brought such a smile to your face for, for someone who had such an appreciation of, of The Last Waltz, for example. And, and I think the way that, 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 whether this was done on purpose, but the way that you filmed that, that was such, for me, the highlight. I mean, there's so many highlights, but such a highlight. On, and, and I think for those that are going to watch this now on Apple TV, hopefully tonight and forever, I hope they catch that because that was just, that was just, I mean, again, I never really saw, I saw the Allman Brothers, but not in their heyday. You know, I, I, I saw the band, but not in their heyday. And I've seen bits and pieces, um, Creedence, you know, the never in their heyday. But, but the experience of that was, you know, what was that like for you with that particular song? Well, that, that particular song um, had a feeling of, um, you know, a, a little bit of the, uh, well, definitely the language of, of Last Waltz, where then they were at the sound stage with Emmy Lou Harris and that kind of feeling of intimacy. But watching Bruce sing those lyrics and watching the camera um, go into close up and the harmonica break and, and, and also just some of the energy of Stevens playing in it, it was spectacular. And, and each one of the songs, I really tried to rely on a different feeling of language meaning like the cameras on that song capture Bruce's vocal differently. There's different angles. 
And for me, I was definitely feeling the power of the Hammond B3, that blonde on blonde, you know, mercury thin sound, that beautiful early writing of Bruce. And it, it was an amazing moment to capture in the studio because you see them smiling in the mid performance and Bruce looking at Steven and, 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 and you had captured some Davy Sanchez right before that too, um, in some archival footage. And, 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 and that's the, that's the Bruce I never, you know, obviously have seen on, on, on film, but you know, never experienced in person. And that felt to me as close as I could have been if I was lucky enough to, you know, to have been at all of these clubs in Asbury Park, other than for me, you know, the Stone Pony in the late 70s, but really when he, in the 60s, when, when, when all of these things were happening, I mean, these jam sessions, because that it's really, it's beyond a jam session because the song is so incredible and the lyrics are even just even more meaningful than, than ever. And same with Song for Orphan, too. I mean, what two wonderful songs to bring back. Well, it's amazing to hear those what songs time. with the E Street Band. And uh, I've heard those songs on the Devils and Dust Tour. Right. And I've heard those songs on my little scratchy bootlegs that I had of my youth. Right. Same here. Um, but to see Bruce now, um, 70 and, and in the space, in that studio with the E Street Band, it was amazing to watch those things unfold. And also just the power of the lyrics in this Bob Clear Mountain mix are just so that the, the mix on this album is just so incredible. Well, but but also Bob is amazing in, in how he contributes to the sonic qualities of the film. Oh, and yeah. uh, the surround mix on this one turned out to be a lot of fun. So wow. And 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 just you know, I, particular. I and and I the archival footage, which like in Western Stars, you were able to, you know, bring in at, at amazing moments. I had to ask you about one moment because I was at both No Nukes shows and I had the opportunity when the No Nukes movie opened to actually, because I was working at DC 101 in Washington, DC at the time, I was 21 years old, but I was the only real Bruce fan. So they let me open the, the film at a, at a theater and, you know, got to experience it. And there was just, I almost felt like there was some footage that I saw from No Nukes in there that maybe I had never seen before. I mean, there was some pretty cool no nukes footage as yeah. well as other, other recognizable stuff. Obviously the, the Henry boy or, or whatever that was in the 72 show. And, and, uh, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm sure all the fans will be guessing, wait, was that, was that Cambridge? Was that, you know, what, 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 what you know, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day, but it was just so well, beautiful. Think, well, thank you. And, and how do you, and, pick, um, I guess, how do you pick that? How do you, take from just a library from all of the archives that you've already done in these other films? I rely on what the story is telling me. And, um, you know, there, there's certain things that I'll just think about and sort of record in my memory of like Clarence carrying Bruce off stage in a very loving way in possibly what is 42 seconds at the end of a role. Mm. Um, that moment in the film is not very long, but it says so much to that relationship. Oh, it says and, everything. And anyone and, who experienced watching those shows live in the 70s and late 70s, early 80s, those are the moments, I, you know, when I think back to my first Bruce show, those are the moments 
that I remember the most were the Bruce and Clarence moments. I mean, they were just, they were just unlike anything I had ever witnessed in any form of, of, of the arts. There's just well, nothing, it, nothing like it. You know, you just, you just hang on to these things when they're small clips like that. And you wait for the story to, to come to you and be like, well, that's the moment for that. Mm-hmm. That, that clip of Clarence and Bruce could have been used for you know, the last 20 years. It could have been put anywhere. And, and, um, but it made total sense for that moment in the narrative. A lot of the black and white footage of Bruce has never been seen. There's all kinds of, all, all the acoustic stuff was stuff that I, you know, recently have been able to um, preserve and, and, and use. And, right. And, and the whole movies too. I mean, I, 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 a couple of months ago, I, I, I put a fun show together and I had Frank Stefanko and, and Pam Springsteen on together yeah, yeah, because yeah. their, their, their lives have just intermittent. There's just so many great stories there. And Pam was uh, doing something at Morrison galleries. And I, I thought it would be just a really fun show to bring them together. We were originally going to sit around and do it at Danny's studio in uh, in Asbury. We wound up doing it this way, but was I, correct that that was pam on a christmas morning opening a gift yeah i thought so okay that's because i was gonna i was gonna reach out to her um next week or when this show airs because i'm not saying anything to anybody before sorry all my friends who know nothing about this but this is the way it goes um but that that was pam i i knew it the moment you're talking about is pam is opening um, a Christmas gift, but it's a 45 record player. I know. Uh, the song is Power of Prayer. And um, I used that footage of Pam opening that record player with footage of Stephen and Bruce going through a jukebox and looking at 45. And I was noticing the songs on the 45s too. I mean, I was really zooming in and, and watching and, and picking up. I think it might have been a Herman's Hermits. I, I forget right now, but they were exactly what it was. But that was that's just just these moments you have these moments in the archive that you just try to use in a way that tells the story and brings the story further along but also that you connect to the history of e street or 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 bruce's history and it's a responsibility that i take really serious and uh i i actually found a small bottom line clip on Mm -hmm. another reel yes i thought so I thought that was bottom line. And that's a just it's a great moment of Bruce leaning into the crowd. So, you know, um, that, that's the year I wasted my 15th year. I, I, I don't know what I was doing when I was 15 years old, but I can't imagine what it, what what I could have possibly been doing. That was anything better. Of course, there was no way I was going to get in or my parents were even going to let me get in unless I was Cameron Crowe. But <laughs> just, to, just to experience any of the, the, the footage of that is amazing. One of the things I, I really kind of wanted to talk about before we end is because it's really impossible to end this interview without really talking about one of the inescapable themes of the film, which really revolves around endings. And it's the endings of people's lives in some ways. One minute you're here, next minute you're gone. Now, apparently, I don't know, my guess is this is a song Bruce maybe wrote not that long after losing Clarence. I think he he references something about, you know, that that had been written earlier. But for, for that record, for, for that part of the film, it just crushed my soul. And I, 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 I think people are going to respond really 
it's just going to bring back so many memories about everybody. And, you know, and again, we all love Clarence, but, you know, we all have those people in our lives that, you know, and, and even I, I got, I, this is strange to say, but even, even we've had dogs for many years as well as kids and you get very, very close. And, and we had one recently that, that, you know, one minute was there, one minute was gone. It was just a very quick thing. And, and again, please, I'm not comparing dogs to Clarence Clemens. I'm just, just saying how the, the thought of loss was just so, well, I think it was just I, such a part of, the, of, of where you were in this film. Well, I think that as a filmmaker, I was connecting to Bruce's script that he was handing to me, which was uh, the lyrics and the voiceover. And loss was definitely a theme that was in all of it. But there was also this power of this thing of a higher power and the spirituality of light and music and and the grace of these relationships. And that's what was coming across. So, yes, it is loss, but um, it was a loss that was that at times as a filmmaker, I took and showed you the loss within E Street. But I also tried to, like Bruce's work, keep it universal so that you could step into the shoes of the character and just take on your own losses, whether it be a pet or a family member. Right. Sure. So that's, that's kind of the power of Bruce's writing is that you, you, you can think about the loss of the band members, Danny or Clarence, who are no longer there, or you, you can take it, into your own personal world. And, and I always hope as a filmmaker that I don't channel it to do to one certain area too strongly. No. And, and what, what I think, you know, the, the way that you went right into burning train after that, which, as I said, my soul had been crushed. Now my soul is on fire, you know, really reminded me how Bruce handled the loss of Clarence with 10th Avenue freeze out on the, on the, you know, on those tours and by, honoring the moment but at the same time rocking the moment and 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 that's what you you really were able to do and i think that when i think about it, the endings i'm also thinking about friendships from our youth so you know and you've got the e street band on top of all that and 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 when you're when you're really watching the band you know take us on you know you talked about spirituality i was thinking about like a mindfulness trip and then we go into i'll see you in my dreams I mean, I almost felt like I was witnessing a rebirth. And again, the E Street Band does not need to be reborn. The E Street Band is alive and well. Anybody who has seen them in the last 20 years know that. But I'll see you in my dreams and the way that that song, the evolution of, 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 the, of the way you bring the song out in the movie, it, it, it really... Like I said, it, it it was it was it was kind of like a rebirth in many ways. Thank you. I um I love those tracks, and I'll never forget recording Bruce to do the vocal of "One Minute You're Here" and and it being late at night, and the band was gone. And I was going to ask you that they that was done separately. Yeah, without the band there. Yeah, that was so intense. Yeah, so it's just it was a really and and, and really late, and just um, the beauty of John's very real and spontaneous reaction to hearing tracks and getting emotional john landau in right. see you in my dreams those are the kind of moments that you hope to get as a filmmaker that 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 just are pure there are things happening and the camera's capturing them and you're not forcing your will on it so you, you just hope to be there 
in the moment. And for me, I'm just enormously grateful for another journey with Bruce and the E Street Band and, and John. And I really greatly admire these people. And, and this is the guy who's 55 and the kid who's 16. So I hope everyone enjoys the film. And uh, and, and they will, because there there's, you know, there was, like I said, you, you've got this value of friendship and every band member and 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 obviously the loss of his friend george Thies, who was kind of the last uh, bruce is the last man standing so to speak from um which is another really just incredible song from the castiles and 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 to the to the remaining east streeters and and seeing you know jake and charlie who i i have to tell you and 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 I love Jake. I love Charlie. I love them both. And the, their work speaks for itself. But some of Jake's work in this film to me was just on a plane. I never, I couldn't ever imagine. And I, and I know how important it is to Jake. I got to know him very well through working with little kids rock and, and Jake was a big part of that organization. And I know how much he cares about every single note and, and how hard that man works but you captured the, the 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 two or three solos and a couple of the songs and 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 there's a lot of beautiful beautiful sax music. But that was that was so special and and I, I guess was there a sense of Bruce seeing his career? Maybe you know you had three cameras, but was there this this other new lens that wasn't on any camera in the room that that maybe Bruce just sort of by by watching it all himself is thinking like, well, gee, I wonder is this the last East street album that I'll make? Or is this just, I, I couldn't you know, tell you. I, I just know that um, he had an album to make and hmm. he was in the zone of working with the East street band. And that's what the cameras were capturing. It wasn't, wasn't really any themes discussed. It wasn't, you know, they don't sit. What you see is exactly what happens, which is Bruce opens up the notebook, demos the song, and those guys go to it. And to me, that's really magical. So there wasn't any discussion of like, well, this is, might be the last thing with the E Street Band. It was more like, we're making this record, let's go for it. And those guys work really hard. Oh, this had to be quite an exhausting, as well as exhilarating five days of filming. I, I, don't, I, I don't see many breaks, right? I mean, especially for you. Yeah, no, there's not. And, you know, I think there's like, in all the years I know Bruce is like a 20 minute break for food, if that, and then they go right back to it. And everyone's excited. You don't even think about it because you're in the zone and it's like, okay, what are we going to do? Now? And there's a new song he's going to do now. Okay. Get ready. Let's do and what, and, and Kevin, what song is this? Okay. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. This is called letter to you. Here we go. And then all of a sudden the cameras are rolling and you're just keeping out of the way because this freight train of E street is in the room. And, and all of a sudden, and you're trying to capture it and you're trying to get the little magical moments. Well, like I said, you know, for me towards the end, watching the hugs and watching Bruce give you this hug must have really felt special. And I guess my thought that I kind of wanted to leave you with is that at the moment of that hug, what I kept thinking is now, you know what? You're now a card carrying Emmy award winning heart stopping, pants dropping, hard rocking, earthquaking, booty shaking, love making, Viagra taking, history making member of that E Street band. So Tom, congratulations. I mean, you make room for, for another Emmy if you can in the apartment because, you know, faith will be rewarded. And those that will uh, enjoy this um, on Apple TV Plus, 
please uh, check it out. Obviously, the documentary directed by our guest, Tom Zimney. And of course, pick up the new album on vinyl, My Personal Choice. And as Bruce said, you know, at the end of the film, enjoy the ride. And Tom, you know, we really, really did. So that's our show this week. Thank you to the folks at Resonate Recording for helping get this one out on time to the team at UBS that brings us great guests like Tom today. And speaking of great guests, join us next week as we speak with keeping with, I guess, the Springsteen world, we'll be talking with Allie Weinberg Rogan. Yes, the daughter of the Mighty Max, but she's a very distinguished journalist. She's the executive producer of PBS NewsHour, a really wonderful young woman I've known for many years. But she's got a new book out about beating breast cancer like a boss. So for Breast Cancer Awareness Month, we will be uh, running that interview. But thank you again for listening. And remember, when it comes for saving for your own financial future, to always pay yourself first.